And uh, I have the wonderful privilege of introducing my son, who's the associate pastor at uh, the Mission Church in Holmes, New York, where Pastor Greg Johnson serves as the lead pastor. Some of you may know that name because uh, Pastor Greg and I are the, uh, have opportunity to travel to Cuba together to do the global leadership training. And so uh, I would like you to welcome with me this morning our guest speaker, Pastor Keith DeMint, as he comes to share the Word of God with us today. All right. What a privilege it is to be here this morning. Thank you for having me. I, it's quite a moment when your father, you know, calls you up and says, this is Pastor Keith DeMint, because I feel like my last name is such a legacy, just a, just a DeMint last name, and uh, yeah, that was a moment for me. That was a good moment. So thank you for experiencing that moment as I, as I walk up. I, uh, I think it's funny, the, the last church I was at, I was a youth pastor, and um, they were closing the service, and the pastor said, can Pastor DeMent come up? And my father was actually there, and uh, he was sitting with my mother, and he, he thought for a moment he was being called up. And so he, he stood up for a second and realized there was the other pastor <laughs> being called up, and it was me being called up. And I, I just was reminded of that story um, right now. But thank you for having me this morning. It's just, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to... Uh, Seeing the church that my father invests so much time, he loves you guys so much. He talks about you all the time. Um, being a pastor, I get to enjoy uh, talking to my father a lot about our pastoral duties in life. And he talks about you guys in such a high esteem. He enjoys you so much. He really dedicates his life and loves you guys. And so I just have the privilege of being here this morning. And I can't help but to think that my life, because of my father and my mother, has been set up for success. And so I was destined to be a pastor. I'm a third-generation pastor, if you didn't know that. I'm a fourth-generation Pentecost. And so my grandfather was a pastor for 40 years. My other grandfather was a pastor. He worked in the district office. The national office was a missionary. And so I have a heritage of being a pastor. But I didn't become a pastor because of that. I became a pastor because God called me to become a pastor. Right. I went to college. I had a grand image in my mind of what I wanted to be. I got a, a degree in finance, a degree in church ministries, because I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to work in finance field. I wanted to help pastors. I wanted to be a financial advisor for pastors and churches, and I wanted to make money in the financial field. And God just started working on my heart in different ways, and I just felt a calling into ministry. And so I was just set up for success because my parents were so encouraging to me in every season of life. I don't know if you know my mother. She's so, she's just, she's feisty in ways, yes, yes. She's feisty, sassy in ways, but she's so encouraging to me in, in many other ways. And she, you know, she was always in that loving nature. And so was my father, very encouraging in everything I did in life. And so they're encouraging me. And so I was so reminded this week uh, on Facebook posts of parents dropping their kids off at college and they're weeping and they're crying and the children are so excited because they have freedom. <laughs> like, yes, finally freedom in my life. I get to enjoy having some sort of freedom and making my own decisions. And I'm so reminded of the encouragement of my parents in my own life and how they set me up for success in, in the ways of God. And we're going to talk about a, a character in the Bible that was set up by, for success and his parents did everything possible to set him up for success, to be successful in life. And, uh, and we're going to learn about him today. That, that, that person is Samson. 
So we're going to be looking at Judges 13 and 14 in the life, the early life of Samson and how his parents set him up for, for success by sacrifice. Can everyone say sacrifice? sacrifice? Sacrifice. This judge was set up to be a glorious, successful leader. You see, Israel in this time during Judges had just gone into the promised land. And so as they were in the promised land, God called them to take over this land and to take it over and get rid of all of the idols and all of the other countries' cultures so they can create their own culture to be a godly culture. And this is happening in, in Deuteronomy and in Joshua. And they're called to go to the promised land to do all of this. And so they get to the promised land, and what do they do? They didn't entirely get rid of all of the other cultures. And so because they didn't entirely get rid of all the other cultures, they fell into sin. And they fell into sin so many times that in the book of Judges, in chapter 3, it happens twice. In chapter 4, 5, 6, and in chapter 10, the exact words said, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It says exactly that. Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And God raised up judges to rescue Israel out of the evil. And Israel cried out to God during these times. So after they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, it was a cycle. They cried out to God to rescue us. And so we find in chapter 13... Verse 1, it says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them in the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, this time it's a little bit different. If you go backwards to chapter 2, verse 19, it said, When a leader died, the next generation would act again more wickedly than the previous one. They would follow after other gods, worshiping them and bowing down to them. They did not give up their practices or their stubborn ways. So previously in Judges, we see that Israel... Would do, would do evil in the eyes of the Lord. They would cry out in anguish for God to deliver them. They would act wicked and even more wicked after each generation passed, and God would rescue them with a, a judge as they cried out. But this time it's a little bit different. This time we don't see the words of the Israelites crying out in anguish to God. We don't see Israelites asking God to rescue them. Instead, we see that Israel is doing evil in the eyes of the Lord for 40 years. Now, how many of you are... 40 years and older. You can admit it. That's okay. 40 years doesn't seem that very long to you guys, right? Oh, 40 years, right? 40 years is a long time, though, for a country to be complacent with being under control of another country. The culture here during this time frame looks much different than the other time frame throughout the book of Judges. They're not crying out for a savior. They're complacent. They find themselves in the place where they don't care that they're under the rule of another country. They don't care that they're not, not in God's perfect will. In fact, they might be enjoying the stability that they have under an, another country's rule. I can't help but to think that even before we get into the story of Samson, how the state of Israel in this period so parallels our lives. We as Christians can be so complacent and comfortable that we don't look to God for deliverance, even when God is delivering us in the midst of of great stress and anguish that we don't even recognize in ourselves, in our own souls. God's grace and his sacrifice answers our needs even when we don't think we have a need. Israel at this time doesn't even think they have a need. They're so stable and complacent in their place, they don't think they need an actual judge. Israel has forgotten the promises and blessings God has for them, and they forgot the history of sacrifice that brought them to the place that they are now. Everyone say sacrifice. But we see next that God still calls on individuals to sacrifice, to secure his sovereignty. The tension between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. So as we look to verse 2, 
in Judges chapter 13. It says, A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now Samson's mother here is childless. Does anyone ever see parallels of childless infertility throughout the Bible? We see it a lot. Infertility, infertility is a common theme throughout the Bible and God showing up in people's lives in a helpless situation. A short list that I put together, we have Sarah and Abraham. They had Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah had Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Rachel had Joseph. Hannah and Elkanah had Samuel. And Elizabeth and Zacharias had John the Baptist. And of course, we can add Samson to this list as well. Children born to parents that were having difficulty. I'm sure Samson's mother was thrilled. She encountered the angel of the Lord, and he makes a demand. See it that you drink no wine or fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. Samson's mother had to make a personal sacrifice. Everyone say sacrifice. It's a theme throughout this message. A personal sacrifice. Do not eat anything or drink anything from this list during your pregnancy. So I know it's not Mother's Day, but how many mothers do we have in here? God bless you mothers. How many mama bears do we have in here that will keep their children safe from anything? You're a mama bear, and you are proud of it, and you will keep your children safe. There's nothing that's going to come to your child, right? I have a mama bear as a mother, too. Some of you might know my mother. She is the mama bear to the core. She will protect me. She protected me. One time at camp, I was 14 years old. My parents were at the camp because they were running it. They were in the district office at the time. And I was at camp, and there was a girl that was giving me a lot of attention, and we would flirt back and forth, and uh, we were interested in each other, you know, flirting as a 14-year-old. And uh, this one particular moment at camp, she was flirting with me, and my mother was watching in the corner, and she did something that my mother thought was inappropriate, and she came over right away, and she says, No! Go back to your room and change your clothes now. Because apparently she was wearing something inappropriate, which she, I don't think she was. I think it was just my mother being very protective. And so Mama Bear personality came out right away and said, you will not flirt with my son in front of me. <laughs> 14 years old. My mother blowing up my spots. Said, Mom, you can't embarrass me like that. She's never going to talk to me again. The mama bear mentality comes out. You're very protected. Now, Samson's mother, she has no name, by the way. It's not listed here, so we're just going to call her Mama Samson for the rest of the story. So Mama Samson knows that her son is destined for success, destined for greatness. God has told her she's going to have a son, and he's destined for greatness, and he's gonna, she's going to protect him in any way and every way possible. And the first demand is to make a personal sacrifice. And so these sacrifices don't, aren't surprising, right? Mothers that have been pregnant, you know that you can't drink certain things. You can't eat any certain things that are going to affect the baby. And so this is not a surprise to Mama Samson. These sacrifices were made during her pregnancy. But I want to point out something that's different from this judge, Samson being raised up, to the other judges. The other judges throughout the book of the book of Judges, before Samson came, had disadvantages that God worked into their lives. He qualified them. 
We have Deborah, who was a woman in a culture where it was rare to have such a powerful leader be a female. That was a huge disadvantage. We had Gideon, who claimed a disadvantage of being the youngest in his family and from the weakest clan. That was a huge disadvantage. We have Abimelech, who had the disadvantage of having 70 other brothers who were born to his father's wives while he was the son of a concubine. Plus, his brothers hated him. Then we have Jephthah, who had the disadvantage of having a mother who was a prostitute. So these other judges were at a disadvantage at the very beginning when God raised them up to be leaders. This time you have Samson, who God is raising up in the right environment to be successful. As we look to verse 6, it says, Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, you will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. We see here now a parental sacrifice. He is to be a Nazarite from the womb until his death. Everyone say, sacrifice. Now both Mama Samson and Manoah are part of the sacrifice. They're giving their only offspring to God for his use. Can we see that somewhere else in the Bible as well? Mary and Joseph, where they give their only son. God was to send his only son for a sacrifice, for his use, for delivering us. How difficult is it for parents to accept God's will for their children? I'm, I'm reminded again of the Facebook posts of their parents crying at college, releasing their children, not because they're not accept, or excited for their future, but they're releasing their protection over their child, knowing that God, they have to release them into God's control. How difficult is it for parents to release protection over your children so that God can take control? How difficult is it for us to release an important possession, an important accomplishment, an important cherished item or characteristic in your own life, and release it to God and give it to God, not just once, but every single day. It's difficult to sacrifice something you dearly want to hold on to. It's difficult to, to release something to God when you want to control it. In fact, control can be a very powerful idol that we have to give to God. Sometimes we want to control all things at all times. That God's calling us to release control and to give it to him. It's hard enough to give it to God once. You can make that decision. I give it to you, God. But you have to make that decision every day and challenge to do it every single day and challenge to give God whatever is important in your life to God every single day. As we look at verse 8, it says, Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God who sent us come again and teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. An important point we pick up from these verses found in Manoah's action. He first hears this incredible news that he's going to have a son, which is very important. He's going to have a son to take his inheritance, to take his family name, and it is going to be a man of God, or for God, set apart from others. What does Manoah do when he hears this news? A simple action. He prays. He prays a prayer of clarity. What does this mean, God? Let's, just, let's remember this, though, as parents. Godly parents pray for their children. Remember that. Godly parents pray for their children. Privately and publicly. I want you to remember, 
That as you pray for your children privately, let them know you prayed for them. Pray for them publicly as well. You don't know what that means in the discipleship nature of their heart as they're growing in God, knowing that their parents are praying for them. That investment will pay dividends as they grow up as well, knowing that they have parents that are praying for them in every situation of life. You have no idea the investment value I have in my own life, knowing that my parents, my grandparents pray for me. There's value in prayer. Pray for your children. If you don't have children, pray for those. Be a spiritual parent to others. Pray for people and let them know you're praying for them, that God has put them on your heart because you don't know the blessing it is to someone's life when they hear that God has put them on your heart and that you're praying for them. You don't know the circumstance. You don't know what part of life they're in, the details of their lives, but you know that God has placed them on your heart and you don't know the value that you have when you let them know that you're praying for them. Godly people pray. Pray. We don't pray to inform God. Remember that. God knows every detail. God knows everything going on. We're not telling God what's happening. We're not telling God this is what's happening in my life right now. God knows everything. He knows all the details. We're not informing him while we pray. We pray to trust in him. We pray because we're humble before him. We pray to learn more from him. We pray to take his presence into our lives. We pray because we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, church. Can we say amen? We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the empowerment of God to make us bold. We need to pray for other people because that's what Christians do. That's what we're called to do, to be disciples of Christ. We pray for others because we are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Amen? As we look to verse 18, Manoah is talking face to face with the angel of the Lord. He does, yet, does not know yet he's talking to the angel of the Lord. He asks what his name is so he can honor him when, the, when his son is born. It says in verse 18, he replied, the angel of the Lord, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. It is beyond understanding. Some versions change the word understanding to one, wonderful. So when you look at beyond understanding or change it to it is wonderful, what comes to mind? It is an expression of being in awe of. My name is beyond understanding. My name is wonderful. My name is something that you should be in awe of. When I think of things that I can't wrap my head around, that I think is wonderful or that I don't understand, I think of our universe. How many of you saw the solar eclipse on Monday? How many of you just saw pictures of it because you couldn't stare directly into the sun? Because you couldn't get those flimsy glasses that suddenly were sold out everywhere, right? God's amazing handiwork of the heavens, I'm just in awe of. Every degree had to be perfect for that moon, for our moon to come in front of the sun, for it to be a perfect eclipse, right? When I look at the stars, I think of God's majestic handiwork. He's such an artist, and I believe that God is the greatest scientist. Science does not scare me whatsoever because I believe that God is the ultimate science scientist that created everything. And so I believe that everything he created in our universe that I'm just in awe of. Whenever it's nighttime and I look at the sky, I'm just in awe of God's handiwork, of how beautiful our universe is and how small we are in that universe, and yet he knows every detail of our lives. I look at, at verse, or I look at the chapter in Nehemiah 9, 6. It says, you alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heavens of heavens with all of their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. Or Psalms 19, 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The amazing work of God we should be in awe of. Not only his creation, but his creation in us, being in the image of God. You know, the most complex organism that scientists have deemed is our brain. They can't fully understand how our brain works. 
the billions of synapses in our brains for every decision, every moment of emotion that we have can't be calculated because they're so often and so unimaginable. And so the most complex organism is actually God's creation within us in his image. We can't even understand it. It is something that we're in awe of. It is beyond our understanding. And so once Manoah starts to realize he's talking to a representation of God that he is in awe of, he does something. He worships God. Because there's nothing left to do when you're in awe of God than to worship God. There's nothing left to do that when you're, you're dumbfounded by the, the unlimited knowledge and creation of God than it is to worship God. And worshiping God takes sacrifice. Can you say sacrifice? Singing songs of praise and surrendering your hands is a sacrifice, the representation, a symbol of sacrifice to God. Giving tithes and offerings, giving what God has already blessed you with and giving it back in cheerfulness is a sacrifice to God, trusting in Him. Giving your time and your talents, serving in ministry is sacrifice because I know how difficult it is when you have a busy life to take time out and to serve God in a ministry. That is sacrifice. And know that God knows that sacrifice. God knows what you're giving up. God knows that you're busy. God knows the time you give into something. And he honors your sacrifice. It takes sacrifice. Once Manoah realizes that he's talking to the representation of God, he sacrificed a possession to God. In verse 19, it says, Then Manoah took a young goat, together with the grain offering, and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did something amazing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar towards heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized it was the angel of the Lord. Manoah and his wife knew it was a man of God that they were talking to. It was someone special. But now they just saw with their own eyes that they were speaking to someone supernatural, a representation of God as he ascended into heaven. It's important to realize that Manoah sacrificed his possessions and burnt offering without fully realizing this was a representation, a supernatural representation of God. He took a step of faith before and after he saw with his own eyes the ascension into heaven, and he was again in awe. What steps of sacrifice are we called in our own lives in order to realize God's presence? What steps of faith do we need to take to see the fruitfulness of God in our situations? What kind of possessions do we need to sacrifice to God for us to take the next step in our faith journey? What do we need to give to God to move forward? If we're not moving forward, we're moving backwards. If you're not growing in God, you're losing God. What is in your life that you have to sacrifice in order to move forward? We see here Samson's parents did exactly what the Lord asked. They gave Samson the right heritage of faith. They sacrificed their personal sacrifices, their parental sacrifices. They gave Samson every opportunity to be the ultimate success in God's rule. We see in verse 24, Mom and Samson gave birth to Samson. The woman gave birth to a boy named Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Samson grew, and the Lord blessed him. Is anyone surprised by this? 
No. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. Is anyone surprised by this? No. He was set up from the moment he was conceived to have the Lord bless him and the Spirit stir him. He was set up by sacrifice for success. His parents put him in the right situation, a godly situation, to be successful in life. But what happens? Samson forgets the heritage of sacrifice in his own life. We see in Judges 14 the life that Samson starts to live. Samson's parents set, up, set him up for success, but then Samson's selfish actions started to stop him from success. We see at the beginning of Judges 14, he tells his parents, get that wife for me. He finds a wife, and he says, he finds someone that he's interested in, and he says, get that wife for me. Like, demands his parents to do that. His parents are like, she's not of our people. She's not of our culture. Can't you choose someone from our culture? And he says, no, I want her. She was a Philistine. So he demands, a selfish demand, get her for as my wife. So they do that. As he was traveling back and forth by visiting her, he was attacked by a lion. And with his bare hands and the Holy Spirit within him, he killed a lion with his bare hands. Afterwards, he follows up and goes back to that carcass, and he touches it. Part of the Nazarite vow is not to touch a dead carcass of anything. So you see here, his selfish nature is coming out. He's breaking the rules. He's bending the rules for his favor. Then he goes and he marries this wife, his wife, and he tells a riddle to his wife's people that if they can figure out the riddle, then he'll give them 30 garments of clothes. And his wife then starts to nag him about what's the answer to the riddle. She says, please just tell me. I'm your wife now. Tell me what the answer is. And so he finally, after all the nagging, tells his wife the answer to the riddle. And she runs back to their own people and tells them the riddle. And now the own people go back to Samson, answer the riddle, and now Samson lost the bet. So what does he do after he loses the bet? He goes and kills 30 people and takes their possessions and garments and handles it and gives it to the people he lost a bet to. It's just the selfish actions are following wherever he goes. He is serving himself. He forgets to self-sacrifice before God. Everything he does, all of his decisions are serving his own interests, serving himself. This just starts to show you that even though someone can be set up for success doesn't mean they're going to be successful. Samson is the perfect story of God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility. We ultimately see Samson is taken over by his selfish ambition of lust. He goes and he sleeps with a prostitute and the people outside are waiting for him to come down so they can capture him and then he gets supernatural strength and he breaks the gate down and destroys the city and walks off. Then he goes and he marries Delilah. And we all know the story of Delilah. If you don't know, it's in Judges chapter 16. You can read about Delilah and Samson and the life that they lived. But Delilah wanted to know what made Samson strong. And she, again, nagged him and nagged him. What makes you strong? What is the secret to your strength? And he, time after time, would l give her a lie and lie to her. And every time he lied to her, there were people that would try to destroy him. And so he didn't pick up on the, the obvious that we're thinking of. Why would you why would you give away your secret when your wife is obviously trying to destroy you? He was blinded by his own selfish ambition, thinking that he was strong enough to take care of anything. He was so blinded by his own selfish ambition in life that he forgot that he was set up by sacrifice to be successful, to be a deliverer of it. Since selfish desires lacked a self-sacrifice that Israel needed. Samson was set up for success but his own 
selfish desires took over, and he wasn't the hero he was supposed to be. Yes, he did a lot of strong and mighty things when he battled the Philistines. God's sovereignty took over, and even though he wasn't faithful, still some of the things that God needed him to do happened, but he was not the successful story that we want to believe after reading the first chapter of his life. He's the perfect story of God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility. It's also a perfect reminder to you parents that have prodigal children that you're not at fault for them falling away from God. You need to be reminded that though you are not perfect, it is not your choice. It's your son. It's your daughter's choice. It's your children's choice to walk away from God. They are free to make their own choices. Manoah, just like we, have to pray for our children. You must not give up on your child, just like God has not given up on your child. But you have to know that their choices, their decisions are not your choices, your decisions. That is not your fault. But you must pray for your children to come back to God. You must pray for them. Intervene on their behalf. Have the courage to talk to them. You must remember them always, just as God remembers them. This is a danger to us all when we think about Samson's life and his lack of self-sacrifice. We can all relate to Samson in a way because we let our selfish desires dominate our lives when we are called to sacrifice and to pick up our cross daily. We all have a sinful nature. We all sin. That is part of who we are. We all separate ourselves from God because of sin. And yet, we often have to remind ourselves that we have to sacrifice our lives for the glory of God and his perfect will. And let me tell you, church, God has a perfect will for your life. God has more planned for your life than you think. It doesn't matter what age you are in here because you're young. Don't take the excuse because you're young. You can't be used for God. And if you're old, don't take the excuse that you're too old to be used by God because every season, every stage of life, God has a plan and a purpose. And we must remember that as we move forward and are sacrificing our own life to give to God. Just because you disqualify yourself doesn't mean God won't qualify you for something. Don't disqualify yourself. Have the ambition to pursue God and His will for your life, and then you will be surprised by what God can do in and through you. You'll find the feelings of being proud of yourself because you didn't even think you were capable of something, but God knows what you're capable of, and you have to sacrifice that to God. God has ambition for your life. Sometimes you need to take God's ambition because your ambition isn't enough. Believe it, church. God has something for you, whatever stage of life you're in. It's a danger to us all when we don't sacrifice, when we let our own mind take control, when we control our own lives and don't give it to God. It's a danger to us all when we live a life like Samson, when we're set up for success. Reading further into Samson, we learn about Samson's life and his strengths, his potential, and downfall by not sacrificing. As Christians, we're commanded to sacrifice before God. Why are we commanded to be sacrificial towards God? It is because we've been set up for success ourselves. The sacrifice of Jesus sets all of us up for success. Ultimately, we find the author and judges is pointing us to Christ and not fallible men. Fallible means the capable or prone to make mistakes. Christ is the ultimate deliverer. Not like any of the other judges that were used in this book that were helping Israel out of political bondage. It takes a perfect sacrifice, a perfect deliverer to rescue men and women from their bondage of sin. And let me tell you, church, we are in bondage of sin. We are in a spiritual warfare every single day. And only the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ 
can break that bondage of sin. It is the perfect Father who blesses us. It's the perfect Father who advocates for us through the Holy Spirit. It's the perfect Father that stirs our soul and blesses us, just like Samson. I can't help but to think through the story of the parallels of Jesus. The angel of the Lord appeared to Samson's mother in Manoah. Actually, just to Samson's mother at first, and then Manoah later, just like the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary and Joseph. I can't help but to think the miraculous birth that happens. Yes, the conception of Jesus was a miracle in itself, but the birth of Samson was a miracle because Samson's mother was dealing with infertility. So the birth story of both were a miracle. The blessings and anointing throughout childhood in Samson's life. The Lord blessed and heard Samson. The Lord obviously blessed Jesus with wisdom beyond understanding. The Holy Spirit. But what goes different is the sacrifice. Samson forgets the sacrifice and does not become the success story that we believe he should become. He does not become what Israel ultimately really needed from a judge. He lets his own selfish nature take control. But God delivers later on. God delivers in the New Testament the perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ, who came and died for our sins, who rose again, who ascended into heaven. Again, another parallel. Jesus ascended into heaven, just like the angel of the Lord in this Old Testament passage ascended into heaven. When we read the Old Testament, we must be reminded that everything points to Jesus Christ. Everything points to Jesus Christ, the ultimate deliverer, the ultimate sacrifice. I can't help but to think that every single one of us in here has been set up for success if we would only sacrifice to God. If we could have our worship team come up and prepare themselves. Our lives, when we sacrifice to God, become new, refreshed, transformed. Being born again means you're born again with a new start to be successful. Allowing God to work in and through your lives means that you are ready for a successful life. And what does success look like? It looks like different things to different people. But the main point of success is having Jesus Christ in your heart. It's having a new start in life, a transformation, a different purpose. Some of you have been living for a purpose for yourself, your own selfless desires, your own ambitions. And sometimes you need to sacrifice to God to let God take control. Let him be the pilot of your life. And you can be the co-pilot. Let him take control and you follow his lead. Let the Holy Spirit work in and through you for different purposes and needs. Let God's ambition take over your ambition. Sometimes we just need that transformation in our mind. Yes, we can come to church and we can feel like we are already a Christian, right? We have already given our lives to God. Our hearts are already God's. But sometimes we need to be reminded that we need a refreshing of the Holy Spirit to redirect our paths. We need the Holy Spirit to, to realign our ambitions, our goals. We need the Holy Spirit to work in and through us on a daily basis, not just once in a while on a momentarily basis. We need to be reminded that we serve a living God that is present in our lives every single day, that the details aren't foreign to Him. He knows every single detail of our lives, and we just need to sacrifice our own lives. We need to sacrifice things to God. We need to remember that God is in control, that his sovereignty rules, that our ambition and our will for our own lives take a backseat to God's ambition because his ambition for your lives is much more grand than you can ever imagine. It makes you sit back and be in awe. You can be in awe. You can think of the wonders of God for your lives. You can sit back and look to God and be like, God, thank you for allowing me to sacrifice my life to you because I have made it so much further than I ever thought I would. 
I've made it farther than I think thought I was possible. God can do that in your own life, but it takes sacrifice. We could all stand to our feet this morning. I'm going to invite our altar workers to come forward and to be available for prayer. I want you to realize and remember that sacrifice takes humility. Sacrifice also is a process. There might be things in your life that you need to pray for. There might be things in your life that you need to give to God as sacrifice. You might need to sacrifice your own, de- own life to God for the first time. There might be some of you in here that have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And these altar workers up here to this morning will be happy to pray with you, happy to lead you to the promises of Christ, the fulfilled nature of Christ. You see, in the courtroom of life, Jesus Christ took your sin, the consequences of your sin on his back. That's what being a perfect sacrifice is. Only Jesus could sacrifice his life for our sin because he was the perfect sacrifice. He had no blemishes. You see, Jesus did not need to be a Nazarite. Samson had to be a Nazarite, follow a specific set of rules so that he could be the deliverer of Israel. Jesus didn't need to be that because he was already the perfect sacrifice from birth. We have to remember that he took our sin, our consequences of sin, and he bore that shame for us, the ultimate sacrifice. And so if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, in a moment after we sing, the altars will be open. I, I encourage you, I beg you, come forward and pray and explain your situation. If you're a parent in here and you have children, this is a great opportunity to pray for your children. If you have a child that has fallen away from God, don't give up hope. God hasn't given up hope. If you have a prodigal, pray for them. Intervene on their behalf. Cry out to the Lord for them. If you're here and you just need a sacrifice of your own ambition, your own soul, and you just need God just just to re-energize you, to refresh you with the Spirit, our altars are going to be open. And we're just going to sacrifice before God this morning. Amen, church? As the worship team sings, you can feel free to come forward. Feel the need to take a step of faith, to be humble before God. Our altar workers are open and available. We're going to sing a few choruses of a song and have a time of prayer at the altar, and we'll end in prayer in a couple moments.